Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Reva. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Good. I'm Reva. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I want to thank Susan for inviting me to speak. And I'm very, very grateful to be here today. And I'm going to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I'm going to qualify. I'm a 100-pounder. My current abstinence is about three years and three months. So, I can't tell you what it was like unless I tell you about my upbringing. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, My father and mother um, uh, met in Paris. Um, My father was a Holocaust survivor and my mother was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My mother was very obese as a child. When she was five, she was already very, very obese. And so as she was growing up, they would say to her, you know, if you lose weight, I'll buy you a fur coat. If you lose weight, I'll send you to Paris. If you lose weight, if you lose weight. So one of the gifts that she got was that uh, she was going to be sent to Paris, and she was supposed to meet a man. Anyways, I'm going to make this a long story short. She met my father, and um, he was very handsome. It was after the war. He spoke Hungarian. My mother spoke Hungarian. But they were really uh, as different as night and day. But in those days, you know, you met someone, you were attracted to them, and then you got married, you know, within like a week. and Or at least that's what they did. And so um, this was a very strange uh, combination of the two because my father was a very um, religious man. He never would even say the word damn, let alone any swear words. He never raised his voice above a whisper. I mean, he really, if he got mad, his big thing was he would whistle. I mean, he would whistle and circle, whistle and circle. My mother was 100% opposite. She was a full-on addict. She was a compulsive overeater. She was a smoker. She was a Darvacet taker. She was... um, absolutely not religious. She would like to stir it up, bring in the bacon, bring in the shrimp, get my dad mad, you know. She was just, you know, really. But she promised him she would be everything, but then it just didn't work out. But they stayed together until, you know, my mother died and then my father passed away. But So we grew up in a very addictive household. My father's voice was very quiet. My, 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 my mother's voice was very big. So I'm one of four, and addiction was very big in our house. Every one of us have addiction problems. Two of my siblings have passed away um, from addiction. So um, my disease kicked in when I was about five. I was 
I was playing with matches and I got burned and um, I was in the hospital for six weeks and that's when I learned um, that chocolate milkshakes would make me feel better because then I had to um, have skin grafting for about a year and go to a hospital like every Saturday. And my sister said that um, my mom, my mother was could be very, 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 very mean. And she was very mean to my brother and very mean to my sister, but less mean to me. And my sister thinks it's because under her watch is when I got burned. But that's when the food, kind of the chocolate milkshake was you know, my reward for pain. And then I went to Weight Watchers for the first time in the third grade. I was not overweight, but it was fun. So, um, you know, that was fun. We had fun. We went and made our buttermilk, you know, milkshakes, and we would all go out. You know, it was just fun. And so um, that really, and, and I was of a normal weight um, for a long time. We moved to um, California when I was 15 years old, and um, the disease really kicked in when I was about 18. I had a boyfriend, I, I had a boy that I liked, he didn't like me, and I had to leave the country. I went to Israel, I stayed in Israel, I, I, and, and I gained about 65 pounds in Israel. I came home, and my mom had just been on Optifast because she had... Uh, bad hip, and she had. And if you don't know what Optifast is, Optifast was a liquid protein diet. It was through UCLA, and you would not eat until you lost your weight, and then they would introduce food. So, when I came home, I had gained about 65 pounds, and I went on my first Optifast diet, and I didn't eat for eight months, and I got very, very, very thin, and that began the diet weight loss cycle. So I have lost and gained 100 pounds many, many times. And I'm going to give you my list of what I did from 18 till 47, what I tried to do to get better. So what I did was, first of all, I came to OA the first time in 1974. I went to OA, I went to Howe, I went to Food Addicts Anonymous. I went to Weight Watchers too many times to count, and if you see my pictures going around, you're going to see a little clip, because at one point, I actually lost 90 pounds through Weight Watchers. I thought I was going to be able to be a leader. I thought it was going to be my dream come true, and that weekend when I got my training for Weight Watchers, I binged my brains out that whole weekend. I'm a volume eater. I can gain 15 pounds in about three days. I mean, I can eat like you've never seen, like an animal. I'm an animal when it comes to, I'm a drug addict when it comes to food. That's really what I am. And that's what I did. So that, that, that dream got smashed. So I went to Weight Watchers too many times to count. I went to the Outpatient Raider Institute, if, if anyone's old enough to remember that. I went to spas, Valley Green in Utah, Esalen up in Big Sur, Omega Institute in New York, Miraval in um, Arizona, Canyon Ranch. I went to nutritionists, personal trainers. I found Oprah's personal trainer, Bob Green, her guru. <laughs> I got him. I found him. I went to behavior modification. I went to intuitive eating. I went to the Cedar sinai There was a woman there. Her name was Nancy Sokolow. She was a renowned eating disorder specialist. I went to UCLA, the OCD clinic. I did Optifast three times. And let me tell you, not to eat for eight months. I'm Jewish. I can't 
I cannot fast on Yom Kippur because I cannot go on another fast if my life depends on it. But I would get hives from not eating. And I would have, you, you had to drink a lot, a lot of water. And I would have to drink, and then I'd have to go to the bathroom so that I could, like, smash my car. I didn't care. I just, I would, I peed in my car one time from just not being able to, that's just what I did. <laughs> I did pre-measured food, Pritikin three times, acupuncture. I prestinate, prestinate, prestinate. I went to Nutrisystems, <laughs> and then I did Tony Robbins, rabbi, Kabbalah, psychiatrist, drugs, <laughs> tapping. Green. I'm not kidding. There's not one joke here because every one of these I tried. Tapping, greens, self-help books. And I did that uh, Reiki uh, chakra healing massage where they don't even touch you. Okay. <laughs> so this is what I did to try to get better. So that's what it was like. I had some, um, some pivotal moments in my life. Um, addiction, as I said, my sister, you know, um, weighed 350 pounds. My brother um, was a medical doctor, yet he was a cocaine and alcohol abuser. And my younger brother um, was a drug dealer and a gambler. My mother was a professional gambler, by the way, and she would go for four or five days at a stretch. And um, she was pretty good, you know? She went to the commerce club, and she would, like, literally stay there for five days, and my father would have to go pick her up. On Shabbos, by the way, when you're not even supposed to drive, he would go and pick her up because she couldn't even drive her car home because she was so drunk from goneness. But um, my brother was, um, my little brother is seven years younger than me, and he was murdered as a result of his gambling and drug dealing. So that was a very pivotal moment in my life. Prior to that, I had another very pivotal moment in my life. I was, um, I had a home invasion when I was 21, and uh, a man broke into my home, and I was, I was raped. And, um, you know, all these things that happened to me, I had no zero coping skills. And every time these things happened to me, food was my savior. And let me tell you, I'm glad I had food. I don't regret one minute of it because I needed it then. And then I didn't need it because then I wanted to get well. So then I would go on that diet. And then I would, you know, I, you know that's just, that was just my thing. I just, I couldn't understand anything. I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. I couldn't get it. And then, like, the last Weight Watchers I went, um, you know, I used to go on a diet, and then I would go off my diet. I mean, and I didn't think that if I went off my diet, I'd gain all my weight back. I just didn't get that, right? And then I would go into that state of bewilder, shock, horror. So a little background. Um, I worked in the fashion industry, right? And um, the humiliation that I went through when I would clip it, when I would gain that 100 clip, I would get really, really, really thin, and I really liked clothes, I worked for Vogue, I was, you know, and, and, and looking good was everything, everything. So I would get really thin, I would buy everything, I would have everything tailored, and then, and then, boom, I mean, three months later, I had, and people would look at me, and they would just not absolutely understand, 
what happened? What happened to you? And I didn't know myself. I couldn't understand anything. So then I would go into this dark depression of self-loathing and hatred and anxiety and fear and sadness and depression. And, and then I tried another. And then I tried another. And then I tried another. So the last time, so then I went on Weight Watchers and I thought, okay, now I got it. All I have to do is eat like Weight Watchers. I lost the weight. I just need to keep doing that. And then I couldn't do it. And I thought, oh, my God, what is wrong? So that's kind of my background. So then what happened was um, my father passed away in September of 2003. So from September to December, I gained about 50 pounds. I, it was the holiday time, and all I literally ate was cheese, butter, wine, bread, and sugar. Because that was the holidays, and that's what I did. And then in December, um, I, I just was at the end of my rope, and I went back to OA again. And meanwhile, like I said, I've tried everything. I went to OA. I would get it. I would lose it. I would gain it. And um, I literally had to detox. I had to, um, it was December 21st, 2003, and I took a few days off from work, and I ate three clean meals a day. And I walked around my house very quietly, and I went to meetings three a day. And I remember Christmas Eve, I sat in an AA meeting on Robertson because I just had to be somewhere so I wouldn't eat. And that started my first abstinence. And um, what happened was I had always wanted to have a child. So I had done the work to adopt a child. I had done the work, I found, an, I was doing a private adoption, I went, you have to do a, a birth mother letter, you have to do all this work, but, I, and, and I had to go to, um, you know, Mar Vista, they have, uh, it's an adoption from the city, and they have all these kind of classes to prepare you, and everybody would raise their hand, and, you know, they would say, what's your challenge, what's your challenge, what are you afraid of, I don't really have support, I don't think I have enough money. And I couldn't raise my hand because I thought, how can I have a child? I'm an addict. I mean, I'm crazy. I'll drive the city. I used to, I, I don't know about you, but I had my Bermuda Triangle, which was on the corner of Westwood and Olympic. And that was uh, Big Chill, Penguins, and at the time there was a basket of ramen there. It's no longer there. So I would line up my food in my car, my yogurt. It would drip, and then I would eat, and I would eat, and then I would drive over to the foster freeze, which was in El Pollo Loco, which was on La Siena, because that was my last hurrah for on the way home. And I thought, this is what I do. Car accidents, no problem. I mean, I didn't care. I would drive like a I'm eating. I don't drive. I'm not paying attention to the road. I'm going to be a mother, like a, like a, like a crazy, I'm a crazy person. Um, a high-functioning crazy person. High-functioning, full-on crazy person. So I couldn't tell anybody, like, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I, I don't know how, anyways, so when I got abstinent, it was like, oh my God, so that was in um, December, and it had been two years, and they say usually within two years, you should be able to get a baby, and it had been two years, and I hadn't heard anything from anybody, 
and I thought I woke up. I was forty-seven, and I well, and I thought, oh my god! I mean, like it keeps times going. You gotta look alive, you know. So I called the the attorney, and it turned out that the attorney had signed up with. He had a brain tumor, so they sold the practice to somebody else. And he goes, I was just going to call you. We have a bite on your birth mother letter. That was in February. My father died in September. June 25th, my son was born. That wouldn't have happened if I was in my eating world. So I. So then what happened? So I had 12 years of abstinence. And I worked the program to the best of my ability. Um, I went to meetings. I had a sponsor. I did the steps. You know, I was working full-time. I'm a single mom. I was raising my son. And I did the best that I could. My two things that were on my abstinence were alcohol and frozen yogurt. So I did not have that. But what would happen was I would binge, binge, binge. I would travel. The airports were, you know, that was my... That was like I can't, my candy store because nobody knew you and I would just walk up and down and I would just eat for hours while I was waiting. And then I would stock up some for the plane ride because I traveled a lot for work. Um, and so I was binging. And I would, but, but because I was in the, uh, 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 the nest of OA, I didn't go off the deep end. And I had very beautiful sponsors and they all said to me, that's okay, honey. You're a compulsive overeater. You just keep coming back. And if you start in New York and you get off the wagon, and you get off the train in Colorado, you're not going to take that trip back to New York. You're going to keep going. And so that's what I did. And then what happened was that I had some transition in my life, and an opportunity came where I could... Um, I chose to move from the city where I had lived for 30 years to the valley so that I could be closer to my sister because she's very, very um, close to me and she's very involved in my son's life and I wanted him to have that support and I wanted the support. So I moved to the valley. And when I moved there, oh my God, it was like I couldn't stop the binging. Now, I didn't have a Dunkin' Donut, I didn't have an In-N-Out burger, but I would eat 15 bagels. I would still drive to, I would still binge and eat. And I, I went to Weight Watchers again out in the valley. And, um, you know, I just couldn't stop. And it was, I was really scared. I was really scared because I, this is, this is all I had was OA. It was, if I don't have this, I'm, I, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. I may not die, but I am dead. My soul is dead. My heart, I'm, I'm in that dark, low, horrible, remorseful, shocking, bewildered depression. And that's what was happening in the valley. And I couldn't. And so I, start, I started going to all the meetings in the valley, and I went to all the winners. And I said, will you sponsor me? And everybody said, yes. Everybody said yes, but I was still binging. And then when I would tell them that I was binging, they would say, well, then how are you abstinent? I mean, this is the whole idea is to stop compulsively overeating. 
you just told me you had 15 bagels and then you got a big bag of uh, bagel chips from um, Jerry's and a big, you know, little, like, pint size of butter and you sat in your car while your son was bowling and you just shoved it in as hard and as fast and your mouth is all cut up and you're, and, and that was just kind of like the beginning. So how are you absent? I said... I'm not, but I mean, but I'm not having frozen yogurt and wine. So anyways, so, um, and I didn't want to give up my 12 years of abstinence. I didn't want to give that up. Don't take that. Don't take that from me. So, um, and then I called another one. And then I called another one. And then somebody said, you know what, you know, this is how I work my program, but, you know, why don't you work with someone else? They'll never let you go. Don't worry about it. You can eat, and she'll keep holding your hand. And then I went, and but that, I, I wasn't happy because I'm still eating. And if I'm eating, I'm in my depression, sadness, but, you know, I don't need to repeat the list again. So on Mother's Day of 2016, um... I took my son to the movies with another woman and her son. And I said, oh, you guys, you just you sit over there. I said, you know, you guys, you don't want to be with me. You just sit on the, you know. So I removed myself from them so I could get a large popcorn. And, and if you know, you get a large popcorn, you get another one free, right? So my goal was to shovel that popcorn down as hard and fast as I could and then get another one down during that entire movie. And the woman that I was with didn't want to leave the kids by themselves, so she sat with them and I thought, oh my God, I'm so happy. You have no idea. I just want to be alone with my popcorn. You know, sometimes you can suck on popcorn, but this was not a suck on popcorn situation. This was a shovel. This was a shovel popcorn situation. So I shoveled my popcorn down, and I had shoveled my second vat, and then we went out for lunch, and then I shoveled up, you know, one of these things that had as much fat and grease and butter as you could, could possibly shovel in, and here I am on Mother's Day with a son that I adopted, and um, I'm as blacked out as you can get. I I just I don't want to I I don't want to commit suicide, but you feel like you want to die. You just want to die. And so I don't know what happened. It was a Sunday, and I made a phone call, and Susan answered the phone, and it was unbelievable. I don't know why I called her on Sunday. I don't know how that even happened. And she picked up the phone. And I became abstinent that night. And it was a miracle. And so what I'm saying here is that don't give up. Don't go away. You never know when the miracle. I couldn't, you know, I have a book. It's called um, For Today. I think we all know what it is. And in the book, I used to write all these, like, inspirational, like, don't take that first compulsive bite. Think about program and you won't eat. Think about food and you'll eat. I literally wrote that in 2003. And I would open my book and look at this stuff. It, it literally didn't mean one thing. I couldn't get it. I I wanted to get it. It's not like I didn't want to get well. I wanted it. I mean, come on. I really wanted it. 
Now, I don't know why that day I had willingness or why God graced me with the ability to be asked. I don't know why. Because there are a lot of people out here in the world that don't get well. We know that, right? We've seen it. We see heroin addicts on the street. They don't get well. It's not their time. My mom, it wasn't her time. She died broken. Um, So, I have been abstinent now for three and a half years. I am what you call, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I kind of follow what I call sober eating. And what that means is I don't eat my alcoholic foods. Because every time I picked up an alcoholic food, it created the allergy, the craving kicked in, and you couldn't stop me. There was no way. And I'm going to tell you something. I now also know that food won't fix me. You know, I remember there was a Sunday before I got abstinent. And it was a Sunday, and I don't know about you, but sometimes Sundays can be blue. They can be weird. If you're not with, I don't know. And I was blue. I was blue. And I came home and I thought, I'm going to put some milk in my tea. That'll make me feel better. I'm going to, you know, you know, when you're sick, sometimes you think I'm going to have some, I I don't do it anymore, but I I used to put milk in my tea to make me feel better because that was like a soothing thing rather than just plain tea. And I put that milk in and it, it didn't do anything. And that, but, but because I thought it was going to make me feel better, I, and it didn't, I needed I, I, I thought food was going to make me feel, I thought a substance was going to make me feel, I didn't understand that it will never make me feel better, ever. Food will never make me feel better. The only thing that's going to make me feel better is working this program, working the steps, making outreach calls. Um, you know, they say, stop eating, you'll find out what's eating you. And that's what has been happening. So I don't eat my alcoholic foods. I commit my foods. And um, if I'm going to change my food, I check in with my sponsor. Because left to my own devices, as you know, we could think pizza has tomato sauce. And guess what? Tomato. Right? I mean, you know we can really come up with crazy things. Or we start out that sentence with, I'm just gonna. Right? Um, So that's how I handle my food now. And... um, As far as how I work my program, um, I'm a sponsor. I sponsor four people. I have a sponsor. I go to meetings. I take service commitments. I'm reading the big book. I'm um, reading and writing and sharing with my sponsor. And um, I go to meetings and... I make outreach calls, and I really, you know, take the action. And I'm just extremely grateful that I don't have depression anymore. And the truth is, I used to take every medication because I was, I, I thought I was depressed, but I, but I wasn't depressed. I was depressed because of the addiction. So I'm not depressed anymore. I'm not depressed at all. I mean, things happen. Um, that I don't like or I'm not happy about. And trust me, when I first became abstinent, I had to go to anger management workshop twice because I really had some anger management problems. 
Um, and, you know, they still crop up, and I'm working on them. And, um, you know, I have a 15-year-old son, and um, this year has been the most challenging year I've ever had. He's a wonderful kid. It's me. And that's what I'm learning, that everything that bothers me is because of me. You know, I'm going to say something very embarrassing a little bit about myself. So, I was on a trip, and my sister and I were staying in a house. And I was in the room by myself, right? And she opened the door, and I had a little gas. As a gasoline, right? And she opens up the door, and she says to me, Did you just fart? And I thought, yes, I did. <laughs> and I'm in my room by myself, and why are you even talking to me right now? I don't understand. I'm not bothering anyone. But it was like she said to me, did you just kill your first? I mean, I seriously, now, if you, someone said to you, just fart, you laugh. Yeah, I farted. Ha, 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 barrel around. But when she said it to me, it was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to murder you right now. I mean, literally, and we didn't talk for a day because I was so angry with her that she had to mention that to me when I'm leaving. I'm here peacefully by myself. I'm not bothering a living soul. Leave me. Why are you talking? And you don't have gas? And I wanted to hack her to smithereens, right? Well, guess what just happened the other day? We were together. <laughs> I'm in Century City. We're out in the air. I have some gas. She walks into my gas. So she says to me again, Did you? I said, Excuse me, are you kidding? You just had a three second episode of gas. Do you have to make a big deal out of it? You have to talk to everybody? You have to mention it? I mean, why? 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 And I went psycho again. So what I'm trying to tell you is I am working on myself, and I'm trying to learn how to pause, right? And this is the stupid, it's so embarrassing and humiliating and foolish and ignorant and stupid and wow, wow, wow. Are you kidding? You know, and you tell, you, you know, I tell my sponsor, but she doesn't laugh because she knows that I'm like, you know, this has been like a big issue, this whole gas thing with me. And she takes it dead seriously and she really listens to my whole gas story and she's listening and she's giving me feedback on it and we talk about it and we write how we're going to address it with my sister and what am I going to say to her. And you know what? I did address it with her. I addressed my gas. And I said, you know what? I looked it up. Dr. Oz says people gas 16 times a day. And you do. And everybody does. And you got to just leave me alone. Or I just can't be with you. Because really. So anyways, what I'm saying is, you know, but that's me. It did something to me, right? Again, you're laughing. It would probably be, if somebody said that to you, laugh it off, right? But to me, it was like criticism. I felt humiliated. I was embarrassed. It felt bad. So anyways, what I'm saying is I'm really working on myself, and I'm working with my son, and I'm trying to, you know, back off, and that's really, really hard. And um, so I'm just really grateful to be in this program. I'm going to leave a little time in case there's some questions, and thank you for letting me share.
So does anybody have any questions? Yes. David, I'm also a reader. And just a, a comment, I think you're being of service when you pass gas, because no one really wants to eat after So having said that, uh, when you were going down in weight in this program uh, to obtain a normal body weight, and when you had people, civilians, who were not in this program, who were just like, oh my God, you look so good. You look so good. Did you have a point where you're flattening out, where there's like a sense of perpetuation? Like, that compliment kind of like told, maybe told your disease that's like, oh yeah, you're good where you're at, where you didn't have to keep going to get to that normal body weight. Do you understand my question? Yes. The question is, as I was going down in weight, did people's comments affect my continuation of weight loss? Would you say that? Yeah, when they complimented you. Yeah. Okay, so when they complimented me, how did I react to that? You know, I got a lot of different things. Most people thought I was sick. They said, are you sick? They thought I was sick. They thought that I had cancer. Um, now, um, no one comments to me. I don't get one single solitary comment. No one says you look good. No one says you look bad. No one says anything to me. I, of course, want compliments. You know, please, compliment me every minute of every day. That's what I want, right? But no one says a word. They're used to me. Like, but when, when you know, my, my posse, not my posse here, but people in the world, um, definitely thought that I was, it was just a, like a blip, a temporary thing. I'm getting too skinny. There's something wrong with you. And you know what? I really don't care. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Any other questions? Hi. Um, you had said that your, um, the abstinence was to give up your soap, your alcoholic foods, and that you do sober eating. How did you determine Yes. Hundred percent. So I did. For me, what I did. The question is, how did I determine what I ate? So what I did was, and it's, and I do this with my own sponsees. I say, do you want to lose weight, gain weight, or maintain weight? Right? If you want to lose weight, how do you want to lose it? Do you want to, you know, I want to, I want to set realistic expectations. They're not going to lose five pounds in a week. Maybe if you lose a half a pound every two weeks, you're, you're good. So, and, and do you exercise? How does that play into your calories? I mean, it is, to some extent, we have to be kind of realistic about our, our, our situation, right? So what I try to do is just, you know, kind of um, come up with a plan that supports their goal. And, um, and I encourage people not to really eat uh, of course, red light foods, but even yellow light foods until they reach their goal, and then we're going to do it together. You want to have frozen yogurt, but you know that's kind of yellow, it kind of triggers you. Well, let's not do that yet, but when you're ready, we can do it together. And if you can have four ounces and it doesn't get your heart going and you need to drive the city to have another 500 of them, then maybe you can have it. And that's how we do it. We do it together, we don't do anything alone. Does that answer your question? Okay. First of all, thank you for your humor. Uh, um, could you talk a little bit about your higher power and, and your relationship with your higher power? Yes. Your sense to your yes. How? What is my relationship with my higher power? Um, you know, you guys are my higher power. 
and I'm really working on developing that relationship with my higher power, it's very, very hard for me to um, quiet my mind and pause and hear the voice of wisdom. I know I have a higher power. Higher power. I know that higher power is inside me, and I have had times when I can actually settle myself down, quiet my mind, ask God for help, and miraculously, I get it every time. I've never been, you know, disappointed. But I do have a hard time doing that. In fact, it's the hardest thing for me to do. In fact, there's nothing I don't want to do more than pray. I don't want to pray. I will clean, more humor, I will clean the poop outside of my dog before I want to sit there and, and, and pray. Anything. I'll wipe the house down than pray. It's very hard for me because I don't feel it. But, you know, what I have learned is I just have to do it anyways. I have to take the action. Just like I didn't really want to, I wanted to be abstinent, but I didn't know if it was going to work. And, and now I have been, you know, the food cravings are removed for today, for today. So I just have to have faith and know that a lot of people here um, are like me. We get it when we get it, and I can't force it, but I can certainly take the action to, um, to connect with my higher power. But in the meantime, I'm making my phone calls. I'm doing my writing. I'm getting outside help. I call my sponsor. Um, I go to meetings. You know, I do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, what is your leading into this? What is your meditation practice? I have an app, and I meditate for ten minutes a day.